Chapter thirty five of the Little Minister. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Little Minister by J. M. Barry. Chapter thirty five The Glen at Break of Day. My first intimation that the burns were in flood came from Waster Lunny, close on the strike of ten o'clock. This was some minutes before they had any rain in Thrums. I was in the schoolhouse, now piecing together the puzzle Lord Rintoul had left with me, and anon starting upright as Mackenzie's hand seemed to tighten on my arm. Waster Lunny had been whistling to me, with his fingers in his mouth, for some time before I heard him and hurried out. I was surprised and pleased, knowing no better, to be met on the threshold by a whisk of rain. The night was not then so dark, but that when I reached the coharity I could see the farmer take shape on the other side of it. He wanted me to exult with him, I thought, at the end of the drought, and I shouted that I would fling him the stilts. "'Is your shouts that wants them?' he answered excitedly. "'If you're flayed to be left alone in a schoolhouse this night, do you hear me, Dominie? There has been fricksome rain among the hills, and the bog burn is coming down like a sea. It has carried away the miller's brig, and the steading of muckle pearly is standing three feet in water.' "'You're dreaming, man!' I roared back, but beside his news he held my doubts of no account. "'Rectory's in flood,' he went on, "'and it runnin' wild through Hazel Wood, to know Donny's tatty fields, all her seat, and at the cart and there fled they've lost twa "'There's been no rain here,' I stammered incredulously. "'It's coming now,' he replied. "'And listen, the story's out that the backbone has fallen into the lock. You had better cross, Dominie, and thole out the neeked with us.' The backbone was a piece of mountainside overhanging and locked among the hills, and legend said that it would one day fall forward and squirt all the water into the glen. Something of the kind had happened, but I did not believe it then. With little wit I pointed to the shallow coharity. "'It may come down at any minute,' the farmer answered, "'and sign, mind you, you'll be five miles fra Wasterlunny, for there'll be no crossing but by the brig o' March. If you winna come, I'm on a way back. I'm on a bide langer on the wrong side of the moss ditch, though it has been as dry this month back as a rabbit's roadie. But if you—' His voice changed. "'God's sake, man!' he cried. "'You're all late! Look at that! Did a look! Run! Run!' If I had not run before he bade me, I might never have run again on earth. I had seen a great shadowy yellow river come riding down the coharity. I sprang from it for my life, and when next I looked behind, it was upon a turbulent lock, the further bank lost in darkness. I was about to shout to Waster Lunny when a monster rose in the torrent between me and the spot where he had stood. It frightened me to silence until it fell, when I knew it was but a tree that had been flung on end by the flood. For a time there was no answer to my cries, and I thought the farmer had been swept away. Then I heard his whistle, and back I ran recklessly through the thickening darkness to the schoolhouse. When I saw the tree rise, I had been on ground hardly wet as yet with the rain, but by the time Waster Lunny sent that reassuring whistle to me, I was ankle-deep in water, and the rain was coming down like hail. I saw no lightning. For the rest of the night I was only out once. When I succeeded in reaching the hen-house and brought all my fowls safely into the kitchen, except a hen which would not rise off her young. Between us we had the kitchen floor, a pool of water, and the rain had put out my fires already, as effectually as if it had been an overturned broth-pot. That I never took off my clothes that night I need not say, though of what was happening in the glen I could only guess. A flutter against my window now and again, 
when the rain had abated told me of another bird that had flown there to die and with waster lunny i kept up communication by waving a light to which he replied in a similar manner before morning however he ceased to answer my signals and i feared some catastrophe had occurred at the farm as it turned out the family was fighting with the flood for the year's shearing of wool half of which eventually went down the waters with the wool shed on top of it the schoolhouse stands too high to fear any flood but there were moments when i thought the rain would master it not only the windows and the roof were rattling then but all the walls and i was like one in a great drum when the rain was doing its utmost i heard no other sound but when the lull came there was the wash of a heavy river or a crack as of artillery that told of landslips or of the plaintive cry of the pea-sweep as it rose in the air trying to entice the waters away from its nest it was a dreary scene that met my gaze at break of day already the coharity had risen six feet and in many parts of the glen it was two hundred yards wide waster lunny's cornfield looked like a bog grown over with rushes and what had been his turnips had become a lake with small islands in it no dyke stood whole except one that the farmer unaided had built in a straight line from the road to the top of mount bar and my own the further end of which dipped in water of the plot of firs planted fifty years earlier to help on waster lunny's crops only a triangle had withstood the night even with the aid of my field-glass i could not estimate the damage on more distant farms for the rain though now thin and soft as it continued for six days was still heavy and of a brown colour after breakfast which was interrupted by my bantam cocks twice spilling my milk i saw waster lunny and his son matthew running towards the shepherd's house with ropes in their hands the house i thought must be in the midst beyond and then i sickened knowing all at once that it should be on this side of the mist when i had nerve to look again i saw that though the roof had fallen in the shepherd was astride one of the walls from which he was dragged presently through the water by the help of the ropes i remember noticing that he returned to his house with the rope still about him and concluded that he had gone back to save some of his furniture i was wrong however there was too much to be done at the farm to allow this but waster lunny had consented to duncan's forcing his way back to the shieling to stop the clock to both men it seemed horrible to let a clock go on ticking in a deserted house having seen this rescue accomplished i was letting my glass roam in the opposite direction when one of its shakes brought into view something on my own side of the river i looked at it long and saw it move slightly was it a human being no it was a dog no it was a dog and something else i hurried out to see more clearly and after a first glance the glass shook so in my hands that i had to rest it on the dyke for a full minute i dare say did i look through the glass without blinking and then i needed to look no more that black patch was indeed gavin he lay quite near the schoolhouse but i had to make a circuit of half a mile to reach him it was pitiful to see the dog doing its best to come to me and falling every step the poor brute was discoloured almost beyond recognition and when at last it reached me it lay down at my feet and licked them i stepped over it and ran on recklessly to gavin at first i thought he was dead if tears rolled down my cheeks they were not for him i was no strong man even in those days but i carried him to the schoolhouse the dog crawling after us gavin i put on my bed and i lay down beside him holding him close to me that some of the heat of my body might be taken in by his when he was able to look at me however it was not with understanding and in vain did my anxiety press him with questions only now and again would some word in my speech strike upon his brain and produce at least an echo to did you meet lord rintoul's dog-cart he sat up 
saying quickly, Listen, the dog cart. Egyptian was not that forenoon among the words he knew, and I did not think of mentioning Hill. At rain, he shivered, but spittle was what told me most. He's taken her back, he replied at once, from which I learned that Gavin now knew as much of Babbie as I did. I made him as comfortable as possible, and despairing of learning anything from him in his present state, I let him sleep. Then I went out into the rain, very anxious and dreading what he might have to tell me when he woke. I waded and jumped my way as near to the farm as I dared go, and Waster Money, seeing me, came to the water's edge. At this part the breadth of the flood was not forty yards, yet for time our voices could no more cross its roar than one may send a snowball through a stone wall. I know not whether the river then quieted for a space, or if it was only that the ears grow used to dins, as the eyes distinguish the objects in a room that is at first black to them. But after a little we were able to shout our remarks across, much as boys flinging pebbles, many to fall in the water, but one occasionally to reach the other side. Waster Lunny would have talked of the flood, but I had not come here for that. "'How were you home so early from the prayer meeting last night?' I bawled. "'No meeting. I came stark hama. But terrible stories. Mr. Dishart was all I caught after Waster Lunny had flung his words across a dozen times. I could not decide whether it would be wise to tell him that Gavin was in the schoolhouse, and while I hesitated he continued to shout, "'Some woman! The session! Lang Tamas! God forbid! Mon back to the farm!' Byer running like a mill dam. He signed to me that he must be off, but my signals delayed him, and after much trouble he got my question. Any news about Lord Rintoul? My curiosity about the earl must have surprised him, but he answered, Marriage is to be the day. Cannon. I signed that I did not grasp his meaning. A cannon is to be fired as soon as their man and wife, he bellowed. We'll hear it. With that we parted. On my way home, I remembered I stepped on a brood of drowned partridge. I was only out half an hour, but I had to wring my clothes as if they were fresh from the tub. The day wore on, and I did not disturb the sleeper. A dozen times, I suppose, I had to relight my fire of wet peats and roots, but I had plenty of time to stare out at the window, plenty of time to think. Probably Gavin's life depended on his sleeping, but that was not what kept my hands off him. Knowing so little of what happened in Thrums since I left it, I was forced to guess, and my conclusion was that the earl had gone off with his own, and that Gavin, in a frenzy, had followed them. My wisest course, I thought, was to let him sleep until I heard the cannon, when his struggle for a wife must end. Fifty times at least did I stand regarding him as he slept, and if I did not pity his plight sufficiently, you know the reason. What were Margaret's sufferings at this moment? Was she wringing her hands for her son lost in the flood? her son in disgrace with the congregation. By one o'clock no cannon had sounded, and my suspense had become intolerable. I shook Gavin awake, and even as I shook him, demanded a knowledge of all that had happened since we parted at Nanny's gate. "'How long ago is that?' he asked with bewilderment. "'It was last night,' I answered. "'This morning I found you senseless on the hillside and brought you here to the Glen Coharty schoolhouse. That dog was with you.' He looked at the dog, but I kept my eyes on him." and I saw the intelligence creep back like a blush into his face. "'Now I remember,' he said, shuddering. "'You have proved yourself my friend, sir, twice in the four-and-twenty hours.' "'Only once, I fear,' I replied gloomily. "'I was no friend when I sent you to the Earl's bride last night.' "'You know who she is?' he cried, clutching me and finding it agony to move his limbs. 
i know now i said and had to tell him how i knew before he would answer another question then i became listener and you who read know to what alarming story and all that time i cried reproachfully when he had done you gave your mother not a thought not a thought he answered and i saw that he pronounced a harsher sentence on himself than could have come from me all that time he repeated after a moment it was only a few minutes while ten o'clock bell was ringing only a few minutes i said but they changed the channel of the coherity and perhaps they have done not less to you that may be he answered gravely but it is of the present that i must think just now mr ogilvy what assurance have i while lying here helpless that the marriage at the spittal is not going on none i hope i said to myself and listened longingly for the canon but to him i only pointed out that no woman need go through a form of marriage against her will rintoul carried her off with no possible purport he said but to set my marriage at defiance and she has had a conviction always that to marry me would be to ruin me it was only in the shiver lord rintoul's voice in the darkness sent through her that she yielded to my wishes if she thought that marriage last night could be annulled by another to-day she would consent to the second i believe and save me from the effects of the first you are incredulous sir but you do not know of what sacrifices love is capable something of that i knew but i did not tell him i had seen from his manner rather than his words that he doubted the validity of the gypsy marriage which the king had only consented to celebrate because babby was herself an egyptian the ceremony had been interrupted in the middle it was no marriage i said with a confidence i was far from feeling in the sight of god he replied excitedly we took each other for man and wife i had to hold him down in bed you are too weak to stand man i said and yet you think you could start off this minute for the spittal i must go he cried she is my wife that impious marriage may have taken place already oh that it had was my prayer it has not i said to him a cannon is to be fired immediately after the ceremony and all the glen will hear it i spoke on the impulse thinking to allay his desire to be off but he said then i may yet be in time somewhat cruelly i let him rise that he might realize his weakness every bone in him cried out at his first step and he sank into a chair you will go to the spittal for me he implored i will not i told him you are asking me to fling away my life to prove my words i opened the door and he saw what the flood was doing nevertheless he rose and tottered several times across the room trying to revive his strength though every bit of him was aching i saw that he would make the attempt listen to me i said lord rintoul can maintain with some reason that it was you rather than he who abducted babby nevertheless there will not i am convinced be any marriage at the spittal to-day when he carried her off from the toad's hole he acted under impulses not dissimilar to those that took you to it then i doubt not he thought possession was all the law but that scene on the hill has staggered him by this morning even though she thinks to save you by marrying him he will defer his wedding until he learns the import of yours i did not believe in my own reasoning but i would have said anything to detain him until that cannon was fired he seemed to read my purpose for he pushed my arguments from him with his hands and continued to walk painfully to and fro to defer the wedding he said would be to tell all his friends of her gypsy origin and of me he will risk much to avoid that in any case i answered you must now give some thought to those you have forgotten your mother and your church that must come afterwards he said firmly 
My first duty is to my wife. The door swung to sharply just then, and he started. He thought it was the cannon. I wish to God it had been, I cried, interpreting his thoughts. Why do you wish me ill? he asked. Mr. Dishart, I said sullenly, rising and facing him and disregarding his question. If that woman is to be your wife, it will be at a cost you cannot estimate till you return to Thrums. Do you think that if your congregation knew of this gypsy marriage, they would have you for their minister for another day? Do you enjoy the prospect of taking one who might be an earl's wife into poverty? Aye, and disgraceful poverty. Do you know your mother so little as to think she could survive your shame? Let me warn you, sir, of what I see. I see another minister. In the Isle Lick Kirk I see you and your wife stoned through our wines, stoned from thrums, as malefactors have been chased out of it ere now. And as certainly as I see these things, I see a hearse standing at the man's door, and stern men denying a son's right to help to carry his mother's coffin to it. Go your way, sir, but first count the cost. His face quivered before these blows, but all he said was, I must three my dread. God is merciful, I went on and these things need not be. He is more merciful to you, sir, than to some, for the storm that he sent to save you is ruining them. And yet the farmers are today thanking him for every pound of wool, every blade of corn he has left them, while you turn from him, because he would save you, not in your way, but in his. It was his hand that stayed your marriage. He meant Babby for the earl, and if it is on her part a loveless match, she only suffers for her own sins." Of that scene on the hill no one in Thrums or in the Glen need ever know. Rintoul will see to it that the gypsies vanish from these parts forever, and you may be sure the spittle will soon be shut up. He and Mackenzie have as much reason as yourself to be silent. You, sir, must get back to your congregation, who have heard as yet only vague rumors that your presence will dispel. Even your mother will remain ignorant of what has happened. Your absence from the prayer meeting you can leave to me to explain. He was so silent that I thought him mine, but his first words undeceived me. I thought I had nowhere so keen a friend, he said. But, Mr. Ogilvy, it is a devil's work you are pleading. Am I to return to my people to act a living lie before them to the end of my days? Do you really think that God devastated a glen to give me a chance of becoming a villain? No, sir. I am in his hands, and I will do what I think right. You will be dishonored, I said, in the sight of God and man. Not in God's sight, he replied. It was a sinless marriage, Mr. Ogilvy, and I do not regret it. God ordained that she and I should love each other, and he put it into my power to save her from that man. I took her as my wife before him, and in his eyes I am her husband. Knowing that, sir, how could I return to Thrums without her? I had no answer ready for him. I knew that in my grief for Margaret I had been advocating an unworthy course, but I would not say so. I went gloomily to the door, and there presently his hand fell on my shoulder. "'Your advice came too late, at any rate,' he said. "'You forget that the presenter was on the hill and saw everything.' It was he who had forgotten to tell me this, and to me it was the most direful news of all. "'My God!' I cried. "'He will have gone to your mother and told her!' And straight away I began to lace my boots. "'Where are you going?' he asked, staring at me. "'To Thrums,' I answered harshly. You said that to venture out into the glen was to court death, he reminded me. What of that? I said, and hastily put on my coat. Mr. Ogilvy, he cried, I will not allow you to do this for me. For you, I said bitterly, it is not for you. I would have gone at once, but he got in front of me, asking, Did you ever know my mother? 
long ago i answered shortly and he said no more thinking i suppose that he knew all he limped to the door with me and i had only advanced a few steps when i understood better than before what were the dangers i was to venture into since i spoke to waster lunny the river had risen several feet and even the hillocks in his turnip field were now submerged the mist was creeping down the hills but what warned me most sharply that the flood was not satisfied yet was the top of the schoolhouse dyke it was lined with field mice i turned back and gavin mistaking my meaning said i did wisely i have not changed my mind i told him and then had some difficulty in continuing i expect i said to reach thrums safely even though i should be caught in the mist but i shall have to go round by the kelpie brig in order to get across the river and it is possible that that something may befall me i have all my life been something of a coward and my voice shook when i said this so that gavin again entreated me to remain at the schoolhouse saying that if i did not he would accompany me and so increase my danger tenfold i pointed out no no mr dishart i go alone and if i can do nothing with the congregation i can at least send your mother word that you still live but if anything should happen to me i want you but i could not say what i had come back to say i had meant to ask him in the event of my death to take a hundred pounds which were the savings of my life but now i saw that this might lead to margaret's hearing of me so i stayed my word it was bitter to me this and yet after all a little thing when put beside the rest good-bye mr dishart i said abruptly i then looked at my desk which contained some trifles that were once margaret's should anything happen to me i said i want that old desk to be destroyed unopened mr ogilvy he answered gently you are venturing this because you loved my mother if anything does befall you be assured that i will tell her what you attempted for her sake i believe he thought it was to make some such request that i had turned back you must tell her nothing about me i exclaimed in consternation swear that my name will never cross your lips before her no that is not enough you must forget me utterly whether i live or die lest some time you should think of me and she should read your thoughts swear man must this be he said gazing at me yes i answered more calmly it must for nearly a score of years i have been blotted out of your mother's life and since she came to thrums my one care has been to keep my existence from her i have changed my burying ground even from thrums to the glen lest i should die before her and she seeing the hearse go by the tenements might ask whose funeral is this in my anxiety to warn him i had said too much his face grew haggard and there was fear to speak on it and i saw i knew that some damnable suspicion of margaret she was my wife i cried sharply we are married by the minister of harvey you are my son End of chapter thirty five